Fans of your two-time European champions from the west side of London, otherwise known as the Gargantuan Chelsea Football Club, I'm excited to introduce the 30th edition of the Lad for Matthew Harden podcast. Is your host, Shane Hogan. The celebrations for Blues fans on historic night in Porto two Saturdays ago will remain jubilant for the near future. Our very own players who now possess a Champions League winner's medal now turn their attention to representing their country in the ever-so-approaching and delayed from last summer's European Championships. Alongside me today, I'm looking forward to have another chat with wonderful Chelsea writer, Football.London, and that is Adam Newson. And that was my timer that just went off abruptly, coming back on the podcast for his second appearance. <laughs> Adam, it's great to see you again. How have you been over the past few days about one Champions League triumph? Uh, no, thank you for, for, for having me back on. Um, no, it's, uh, it's been nice to... Uh, Still enjoying all the pictures and videos that crop up every now and then on, on social media. And, um, and yeah, I'm actually technically off work this week. So I've, uh, mm. I've actually had a couple of days so far to just unwind a little bit and uh, step away from the madness of the transfer window, which has actually been quite nice, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on, Adam. Looked like you enjoyed the 24-hour adventure that was going to Porto to see our club lift Mr. Big Ears for the second time in the past 10 years. I mentioned it somewhat quietly in the introduction, however, now let's dive into more upcoming football fixtures because, Adam, it seems as if we've been spoiled by countless club fixtures over these past year and a half. But now, right when all the mayhem for Chelsea ends, another period of intense competition ensues and begins on Friday. Turkey will face, I believe, Italy in Rome to kick off the anticipated tournament. But what I want to do today is try to analyze the perspective of what each Blues player's role for their club this summer will hold, while also throw out some predictions as well as what we believe will turn out to be in the history books as a nation will lift the grand trophy on the 11th of July at Wembley Stadium. So let's bring in the group A and the Chelsea double inside the Italian squad, including our vice captain, Jorginho, and second choice left back for the Blues from the bench this season, Emerson Palmieri. Adam, from that direction, Georgia didn't feature for Roberto Mancini's squad this past March. In their, in their quest to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. I don't know if he was injured at that point or he just wasn't including the squad. But the midfield regista, however, he's sure to be in the Azuri's efforts to win their second European crown and first since 1968 in the competition. So, Adam, is it safe to say Jorginho will be the go-to for the manager as the preferred holding midfielder in his 4-3-3 system? Yeah, Jorginho is really important uh, to Roberto Mancini. He didn't uh, make the last squad, but that was because he was injured. Um, if you remember, around March time, he was absent for the uh, Atletico Madrid second leg, which he was suspended for, but he would have missed anyway because of injury. And I'm pretty sure from memory that he missed the Sheffield, Sheffield United um, FA mm. Cup game as well because of that injury. So he stayed at Cobham that, uh, those two weeks, which is why he mm. wasn't in the squad. Um, but yeah, he's a, a really important part of, of Mancini's team, of Mancini's system. Um, and he will probably be very important in the first few games because I think Marco Verratti isn't set to play, especially in the first, uh, in the opener. Um, so he's going to have a big role to play as that sort of deeper playmaker, Jorginho, in the first game, especially, and, and probably through the group stage and into the knockouts because, yeah, Mancini does like him, um, always has mm. done since he's, he's took charge. So, um, so yeah, he's going to have a big role to play for Italy. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure Verratti is, he's, he's coming up with an injury to the squad. I think he's still in, in the squad for, for the years, but Verratti won't really be as much competition anymore. He's bound out with Brian Cristante from Roma and also maybe Pellegrini. 
But from my memory, Pellegrini is not really that hold-in midfielder. He's more of that number eight role. He plays for Roma. So I don't think he'll have too much competition in that role. But now let's move on to Emerson because he hasn't had the most minutes for Chelsea, especially over the past month or so. But he made the squad, and he remains probably the first choice left back for, for Mancini. He's bowing out with Spin Azalo from Roma, probably. He played, I believe, in the last friendly game that Italy just had. Um, and they usually play a back four, so it's not like he's going to be playing at left center back or anything like that. He'll play a left back position, not a left wing back. And he'll be alongside two agent center backs, as you can probably call them, and Bonucci and Cialini. So this event could have some holes in it. And Emerson could have been one of those this summer. And it looks like he might move on from the club. Is this an opportunity for Emerson to kind of stake a claim for, for Tuchel's plans going forward? Because it's not really looking like that right now. Uh, I imagine it's more an opportunity for him to stake a claim to move to uh, it's a club in Italy, to com- yeah. be completely honest. Um, he's only got one year left on his contract at Chelsea. Mm. Um, there haven't been any talks to, to renew that. So um, I think it's an opportunity for him to show a couple of sort of interested Serie A clubs that he uh, has a lot to offer. Um, as you say, it's very interesting that he's probably going to go into this tournament as Italy's first choice left back when he was essentially Tool's third choice left wing back uh, slash auxiliary uh, left centre-back when Chelsea were playing in FA Cup games against weaker opposition. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a big tournament for him, probably just more to try and earn a move to some uh, to an Italian club. Um, the only problem is that Marina Gronovskaya seemingly mm. uh, demanding a fair amount of money for Emerson um, and whether or not there's that market out there really for him uh, in the sort of plus £10 million pounds mark, I'm not so sure. Mm. So it could be actually good for Chelsea if he has a good tour and just to kind of put up that fee, right? Like go up to 10 million, 11 million, if they can get yeah. a good performances from Emerson, maybe that can help them out in the transfer market to fill up some of that money that they hopefully want to go spend on some quality players this summer. But let's move on now because there's not much to talk about really with Emerson. Um, Italy's chances, just just in general, their history in the tournament, I believe they won it once. I'm not sure what year, but they made it to the quarterfinals in 2016. And, of course, they have Immobile, who had a great season for Lazio this year in the Serie A, right alongside of Christian Arnold for the Serie A uh, Golden Boot. They have a really up-and-coming Federico Chiesa on a flank. They have Insigne, who's been really good in the Serie A as well this season. So what are your thoughts, especially with uh, young goalkeeper and Donnarumma, whose future is up in the balance right now? It looks like he's going to go to PSG. This is a, there's a kind of a mix of old and young coming in for this Italy team. What are your thoughts on where they could go? They're not in the toughest groups, so that maybe that can make them get out of the group, of course, but also going further than the round of 16. Uh, I think they'll get through the group without any trouble, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of reach the quarterfinals, maybe even the semifinals. They've got some, mm. as you say, sort of tournament experience there with Chiellini and uh, Benucci, uh, especially those uh, that centre-back pairing a uh, vast experience. Um I like there's a sort of freshness to this Italy team. Um, mm. Mancini has done a really good job at, at sort of revitalizing it over the last sort of two years. Um, but I think it may be just a tournament too early. I think maybe at the World Cup next year with a, a bit more experience for some of the younger players, um, maybe a, 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 a maybe a bit more of a, gen, a genuine alternative just to, to uh, Bellotti and Immobile um, will emerge in that time as well because they're similar ish forwards um 
but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you I wouldn't ever bet against Italy from making the, the latter stages, but I don't think just yet they've probably got enough to, to go and win it, considering a few of the other club uh, clubs, a few of the other countries involved. Mm. I think it's also their depth right now, and, and you're looking at maybe not in their group, but also playing the likes of Germany, playing the likes of France, and in the knockout rounds. I just don't think that depth, like you mentioned, is there in the attacking areas. They have good midfield depth. But going forward, can they get that vital go that, that vital goal to uh, provide them with another victory? So let's move on to another team mm-hmm. in that same group. Ethan Ampadu has not been really talked about right now. Had a disappointing second half this season at Sheffield United, I think it's safe to say. And Robert Page, though, has included him in this Wales squad. That has some interesting young players as well, but also some players that experience the likes of Gareth Bale, with the likes of Daniel James coming in. Um but Ethan Ampadu has a really good opportunity to play a lot of minutes in this tournament, especially because there are injury concerns over Aaron Manzi, but also Joe Allen, who is usually a mainstay in this Wales side. And usually they're playing a 3-5-2, so he could play in that midfield too, but also we've seen that United a lot slot into that back three. So I think there's a lot of minutes up for grabs for Ampadu in this tournament. Of course, he'd love to come back to show us next year and have something to say in Thomas Schuchel's plans. He'll get to hopefully impress him in this tournament also at Cobham in the incoming months. We know this is an opportunity for Ethan Ampadu. He's going to get minutes. It's really good for him, especially because at Sheffield United, he wasn't playing with the best squad, of course, and also didn't really have the great experience mm-hmm. for the past month or so. wasn't even in the team, really, in, in May, I don't even think, but... Uh, we also have a decent record in this in this tournament. They got to the semifinals in 2016, where they lost. Um, where they beat where they beat Belgium. And they lost in the semifinals to France. I think Ampadu could have some minutes here. He could slot into that back three, but also he can play in, in the middle of the three five two. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see how Wales, Wales play this because I think they've used two different systems in their two warm up games. Mm. So. Um, they were beaten by France. Uh, admittedly, they uh, they went down to 10 men in that one, so that probably altered things because I think the sending off was uh, sort of around half hour mark in that game. So that was a, a difficult one, but he didn't feature in that. And then, yeah, against Albania, he did play uh, in the back three, which is obviously where he played for Sheffield United um, for most of this season when he did feature. It's an interesting tournament for, for Ampadu. I mean, it's easy to forget just how good he was when he was sort of being given minutes by Antonio Conte. Um, he looked uh, completely at ease at Chelsea and in, in, in Chelsea's first team. But yeah, he's had a, a couple of the, the, the Leipzig loan didn't really work. And um, his Sheffield United loan, he got minutes. But whether or not you want to take those as, you know, him moving close to the Chelsea team, I don't really know. I wouldn't think that they've done a huge amount to alter his status in at Chelsea in the longer term. So it will be an interesting tournament for him if he can get some minutes under his belt, if he can uh, sort of prove himself uh, on a bigger stage. But I don't envisage him coming back to Chelsea next season and having a big role to play, to be honest. Mm. And I think that backside of the defence is, is a pretty big weakness for Wales, like a lot of teams in this tournament. I mean, they're probably going to be playing a pretty young side, especially in that back three, whatever system they may play. The likes of Joe Rodon probably saw in the middle of the back three. But with Aaron Ramsey not playing, that's going to open up a lot of minutes for Ampadu in that midfield. But also, Robert Page can also put him in the back three like we've seen him with Sheffield United. I hope he does get a lot of minutes because I think – He's had a tough couple of last year and a half. I mean, like you, you mentioned the RB Leipzig loan, 
he had a great game against Tottenham Hotspur away in North London. And then ever since then, it's kind of gone downhill for him. Um, not really getting that many minutes at the back end of the Bundesliga season last year after the restart. And then this season, actually, for United, just being in the worst defense in the Premier League doesn't really help. You know, I mean, you're getting minutes, but at the same time, the confidence level just wasn't there, especially, I believe, was it Leicester who beat him 6-0 at the back end of this past season? So, I mean, and he was playing in the middle of the back three. So he definitely has some scars, but this is a tournament that he can represent his country. He's going to be really excited to get some minutes and hopefully he can maybe show something to Thomas Chuka before he comes to Cobham this summer. Try to give him something because he hasn't really seen him play yet at all in a Chelsea shirt. So now let's move on now to Group B with Belgium. And this is an interesting one because I know you wrote an article about Michi Batshuayi just a couple of days ago. And we'll talk about a little bit a little bit about that in a couple of minutes. But Roberto Martinez with Belgium, they're a very good side. They made it to the quarterfinals in 2016 and, and they lost two whales, like I just mentioned a little bit earlier. It looks like they're going to play a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, mind me. But Batshuayi just looked like he's getting any minutes, even from the bench, because Christian Benteke has had a really good season, really nice season for Crystal Palace. But he's been called up to the squad. He has history with Belgium playing, coming off the bench. But with you got the likes of Lukaku and the likes of Benteke on the bench, do you see any chance that Michi Batshuayi could get some minutes in, in maybe a game against a Finland or a game against a Denmark? Probably, yeah. I mean, if Lukaku's fit, uh, he's going to start, I think. And maybe if Belgium do qualify early, then, yeah, there's a chance of, of Michi getting some minutes. But um, but I don't think it's likely he's going to be starting uh, very often, if at all, uh, during the mm. tournament, uh, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, his, his situation at Chelsea is an interesting one, obviously. He's, uh, yeah. I think he's also only got a year left on his contract. His... Um, his loan at Crystal Palace didn't really work out second time around. It was it was a good stint there the first time he went to Selhurst Park, but yeah, it didn't really work out the second time. He didn't get the minutes and, and the regular minutes. And he spoke about uh, he actually spoke about Roberto Martinez. Um, I think it was during the last international break about how he feels more trusted and and, and respected almost by uh, by Roberto Martinez than he did at Crystal Palace. So there's obviously that uh, appreciation for his talents, but um, but when you've got Romelu Lukaku, who's obviously one of the best forwards probably in world football um you've got likes of Dries Mertens you've got Eden Hazard you've got um Torgan Hazard as well you've got Carrasco like there's a lot of guys to try and, and cram into your attack and uh I don't think Michi is uh is going to be near the top of that list if I'm honest mm. to the likes of uh Yoli Tillmans in that squad that's going to be a really nice piece to have for Arturo Martinez their best finisher was their best finish was a runner-up in 1980 never won they've never been to the final um Belgium but I mean they have a star-studded team like you mentioned with Mertens with Hazard if you can find form that's gonna be really interesting can Eden Hazard find this form back in this tournament if he can watch out for Belgium to make it to the final at Wembley but when you have one of the best players in the world and probably the best playmaker in world football nowadays in Kevin De Bruyne and you have a world-class striker like Romelu Lukaku I mean that's ingredients for success and I feel like Martinez is a great coach. I know he was an analyst all season in Champions League back in America, the broadcast that I was watching. And he's a really smart guy, knows what he's talking about. He's really excited for this tournament. But I feel like with Belgium, especially looking at the bracket coming out, they're going to win the group, in my opinion. 
But I just don't think they can get to Wembley quite yet. I think they're going to get to the semifinal, but the same end, can Hazard really bounce back from his form? And can Lukaku and De Bruyne really carry this team to the final? I'm not sure quite yet. Thorgan Hazard's going to be a wild card. I think he could play a good role in this tournament as well. But I just don't see Belgium making that final push quite yet. What say you on that? Uh, I think they're going to have to do it soon, to be honest, uh, either this tournament or the World Cup next year, because yeah. you know, a lot of this sort of top top generation of guys are approaching their sort of late 20s, early 30s at this point. You know, Eden Hazard, 30. Kevin uh, one I think, is 28, 29. Lukaku's 27. And, you know, these guys don't maybe have too many major tournaments as a collective uh, to go. Obviously, Hazard, Eden Hazard's not had the best season at all, best two years at Real Madrid. You know, Kevin De Bruyne is coming into this off the back of um, quite a nasty injury, obviously, sustained in the Champions League final at the hands of Antonio, at the shoulder of Antonio Rudiger. Um, so that's not ideal for them, but they do have quite a lot of quality in their squad, as we just touched upon. So I agree that they'll get through the group and... I think if you can get through that, if you can get through the group, get through to the sort of quarters and you've got maybe you can sort of get Eden Hazard going and you have Kevin De Bruyne a bit more uh, fresher and fitter than he probably is at the start of this competition. You get Lukaku going, you know, Belgium have quality. Um, I guess the main sort of concern is, yeah, they've they failed at, uh, at this point before uh, in Euro 2016 when they should have got through and their defence is... Um, a bit more questionable, I guess, because you've got all the Virod and the Tongan who are both... It's getting old, old too. It's getting old. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, Thibaut Courtois, for all his mm. uh, riling of Chelsea fans over the years, is a very good goalkeeper. So they do have that. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, a bit of a maybe of a lopsided side, but it's mm. definitely one that can go far in the competition, I think. Yeah, and I think we look at their bench too. We mentioned the likes of Castagna, probably could come off the bench, Benteke... Axel Witzel, Thurgan Hazard, they have the squad to, to advance pretty far in this tournament. It's just, can they stop the ball from going in the back of their net? Because I think they can get their goals, their width through Corrasco, through Munier, in their win-back system. And like I said earlier, I think Roberto Martinez is a brilliant coach. I really do. But I just, at the end of the day, their defense just, I don't think I can trust their defense quite yet. Vertonghen and Out of Everywhere, of course, have had that partnership at Spurs before last summer, of course. But Courtois could be the key player, especially we've seen him before make some really great saves and some really important games. As a United States fan, just going back to the 2014 World Cup with the United States playing Belgium in the round of 16, probably the most memorable game in the United States history, not for the greatest reasons, but I think Tim Howard made something like 14, 15 saves, but Courtois made 12, 13 as well. You know, it was just a back and forth game between the goalkeepers. And we know what Courtois' ability is. Um, so I think that he could probably take them to that final because they just have so many creative players that can go forward, but also their depth is just brilliant as well, like we mentioned. But let's move on to another player in Group B, and that's Andreas Christensen for Denmark. You could have argued that if this tournament had been played last summer, he might not have had a chance to get into this team. But now he looks like he's going to be the first choice center back alongside Simon Kerr. They've kind of built this partnership over the past couple of months together on international duty. The question is, though, that I have for you, Adam, it looks like their manager, Casper Hulman, is going to play a back four. Does Christensen have that physical 
ability to play in that back four. We've seen him been a little bit more physical, which I think he's developed over these past couple months with Thomas Struco. I think it's going to be really interesting to see him in a back four again. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be an interesting test, actually, because I think that's probably the the big question mark still over Andreas Christensen is how effective mm. can he be um, at the very top level in a back four? Because we've seen how he he was absolutely sensational the back end or the back mm. three months of the season for Chelsea. He uh, he stepped in for Silver when he was out with his thigh injury for the best part of two months and was excellent. And he obviously coming into the Champions League final as he did um, didn't put a foot wrong. So. I'm delighted for him because he's a, he is a genuinely nice guy. He has long been touted as a future Chelsea defender. You know, they can go back to like quotes from John Terry not long after Christensen had joined saying that he would be a future star at Chelsea. So um, it will be an interesting one. He's, yeah, as you say, he's going to probably play alongside Simon Kier, who's had a very good season. So that will hopefully help him as well because um, Kier's very experienced and, and maybe mm. can sort of help him along in, in a back four. Um, and obviously he's got Casper Schmeichel behind him. He'll be mm. shouting all the time. Um, yeah, Denmark are, are quite interesting side to me because I think they may surprise a few people. Uh, you know, as we just touched upon there, the, the defence is is strong. Um, you've got people like Thomas Delaney. You've got uh, Hoiberg in front of them as mm. well. So the midfield's really good. That, yeah, you imagine that's going to be quite a strong uh, midfield who aren't going to sort of concede a lot of chances in games. And then you're backing maybe Christian uh, Christian Eriksen to, to produce mm. something to unlock a team. And yeah, maybe their, their forwards aren't top level. I mean, you know, Kasper Dolberg's was very highly rated a, a few years ago, but hasn't necessarily kicked on. And Martin Brathwaite's done done well at Barcelona. I don't think he was ever going to be a star for Barcelona, but um, I think he's quite an intelligent player. And then they've got people like Yusuf Polson as well, who... Um, yep. Who obviously, you know, at RB Leipzig was excellent with Timo Werner. Um and Timo Werner's probably missed playing with Yusuf Paulson, if I'm honest, mm. at Chelsea, because uh, he did do a lot of work for, for Timo. But um, but yeah, I, I think Denmark might just uh, surprise a few people, and I, I do think they'll get through the group. And as I said, if they get through to the knockouts, I don't think they're going to be easy to play against for any team. Mm. I think it was great that he shouted out Tom Stolini and Horberg, because Horbier's had a really great season at Tottenham Hotspur. He's been one of their most consistent players, one of their, probably one of their only consistent players throughout the season. Jose Mourinho loved him. He played him, I'm pretty sure, in almost every game. Had a great season from Southampton. Got transferred, of course, to Horbier in that in Tottenham swap deal. And he was pretty consistent for, for Tottenham in, in a midfield pivot for whoever he played with. And when you have the likes of Christian Eriksen probably playing as a center attacking midfielder, I mean, the options are there for you. And like you mentioned, Paulson is a really fascinating player. It will be interesting to see what kind of system they use up top because they do have the likes of Bradley, who can probably play on the left wing. They have Paulson, who might be able to play on the right wing, but at the same time, is probably better used as a center striker. So, but on the Christensen front, getting back to the Christensen front, that back four, I'm really interested to see him playing that back four because I think I have the confidence in him. Yeah. At the same time, it's the fact that he hasn't played in one in quite a lot of time. So... We'll see what Christensen's got. I think that Denmark have a really good chance, like you mentioned, getting through the group, especially the likes of Russia and Finland, the other two teams in the group. I think that that would be a really good opportunity for Denmark to go in, maybe even get an upset in, in that round of 16. We've seen it happen before in this European tournament. <laughs> crazy things happen in 2016. I'm sure crazy things will happen once again in 2021. And they won the tournament last time when Kasper Schmeichel's dad was playing for the team back in 1992. Mm. So they had, do have history in this tournament. 
And then Christensen's going to be a fascinating player to watch. And I'm really happy for him because, like I mentioned, this tournament would have been played last year when it would have been scheduled. He might not have been in the squad. So I think that his performances over these past mm. couple months have really helped him. I'm really excited to see him once again playing that back four. I think it's a really awesome storyline to track. If, if you've not read the story of Denmark's uh, Euro Nice 2 win, it's well worth going mm. back and reading about it because uh, they originally weren't in the tournament. They only entered late because uh, I think it was Yugoslavia got disqualified and then uh, a lot of the guys were basically on the beach and got thrown into this tournament and they uh, they went off and won it. So, um, yeah, if you That's haven't read about it, it is very interesting and a great story. Mm. Let's move on now to Group D, which is a very interesting group for many different reasons. But we'll start with Croatia and we'll start with the midfield man of Chelsea's pivot to Mateo Kovacic. The manager's Lako Dalic probably is going to play something like a 4-2-3-1, which probably fits Kovacic pretty nicely as, as one of those number sixes. He's competing, though, with Brozovic from Inter Milan to partner with Luka Modric in a midfield pivot. Of course, they have a really, really dynamic team. Their defense is solid, but they also have depth with players that you might not know quite well. But they have success in recent tournaments, especially reaching the World Cup final. But this year, it's a little bit different. Their players are a little bit older. At the same time, though, they don't have players who are like widely known, but they have quality players in their side. And one of them is Mateo Kovacic. And it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to be able to get those minutes or not with partnering Luka Modric in that midfield, too. They got knocked out by Portugal in the round of 16 back in 2016, who went on to win the tournament. Croatia in this tournament has, I don't think they've ever won it. They've gotten into the quarterfinals one year, but they got to the World Cup final in 2018. They have history in major tournaments. They have, I think the most important thing is experience is the word for Croatia to use here. So Mateo Kovacic in the midfield, what do you think her, what do you think his chances are going up against Brozovic? Because Brozovic has something that Kovacic doesn't have in his locker, and that's scoring goals. So do you think that there's a potential that Kovacic drops out of this side in that midfield too? Uh, I wouldn't be actually that surprised if he starts, especially uh, yeah. against Ignal on the bench, and it is Brozovic yeah. and, uh, and Modric, um, to be honest. But, you know, England are maybe the strongest team in this group so perhaps he will go with a, a three in midfield rather than just a, a, mm. a sort of a double six that, uh, and a ten so who knows but um i'm not sure if he if croatia were to put out their strongest side if Matteo kovacic would be in it um to be honest um which is a bit of an appreciate probably as far as anything to say but they have strength in midfield and they have always done during his time in the international setup to be honest he's always been competing with a with a Luka Modric or an Ivan Rakitic and hasn't ever really been an eld on starter for Croatia so um yeah it will be interesting to see what system they do go into uh the World Cup uh, sorry the Euros with and um whether or not Matteo starts I have a feeling that he may be uh, a sort of impact sub or second half mm. substitute when to maybe replace someone like a Modric if uh, if if his legs are tiring so yeah um it's a it's a strange one with with Mateo Kovacic because I don't think anybody doubts his talent he is a, a wonderfully gifted technical footballer but there is still I guess that little inkling about what does he necessarily offer in both boxes does he offer enough in both boxes to be a, a starter uh, not just for Croatia but for Chelsea as well we've you know he's done very well at points this season but um 
there was a reason that Thomas Tuchel went with with Kante and Jorginho in the Champions League final, for example, um, and it wasn't just that Kovacic hadn't played too much. So, um, yeah, interesting one. I think Croatia, I don't think they're going to repeat a sort of World Cup run of, of 2018. I think they'll get through the group and maybe cause one of two problems in the knockout stages. But, um, mm. but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to shout out that obviously former Chelsea lone army stalwart Mario Pasalic is also in their mm-hmm. squad. So um, yep. there is another Chelsea connection there as well. Mm. Yeah, and they have a guy named Josip Bracalu, who I've actually I've watched play a couple of times this season. He's a pretty exciting prospect, and he's probably going to be that replacement in, in next year's World Cup for the likes of Ivan Perisic, who's getting pretty old. But Croatia is playing England on Sunday. It's going to be a very fascinating game, especially if Mateo Kovacic plays in that midfield too to start out. So let's move on to England, which Chelsea have, of course, three players in that England squad. And let's start with Rhys James. His first international tournament. Of course, this guy can play right wing back, right center back, right back. We've seen it all. We've seen him play center mid at this time with Chelsea this season. Gareth Southgate, for some reason, is obsessed with talking about how right backs can play in the midfield, i.e. Trent Alexander-Arnold. Maybe he'll play play Reese James in the midfield. We don't even know. But let's start with Reese James. He had, of course, a really good back end of the (laughs) season for Chelsea. He had some shaky moments, especially during the Christmas time, but so did every other Chelsea player. This is one of my favorite young players. I'm so happy he made the squad, but he does have competition with Kieran Trippier. He does have competition with Kyle Walker. In England, are probably going to play a back five, which might benefit him minutes-wise. So what are your thoughts on his chances getting minutes in this tournament, especially with the likes of experience like Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker in the squad? Do you think Southgate will turn to experience? Do you think he has enough trust in Reese James like I do to put him out uh, on Sunday against Croatia? Uh, I think he'll probably go with the experience of Walker and Trippier just because they've played in tournaments before. I don't necessarily agree with that line of thinking, but I think that's what Southgate will do. Um, I am interested to see what system he ends up settling on because um, partly due to those who aren't there, but England have played a back four in, the, in their two warm-up games. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Reese's performance during the second half of this season, especially under Thomas Tuchel, he's come on leaps and bounds really and has definitely put himself in contention. But um, I would, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Southgate does go with the sort of tried, tried and trusted of, of Walker and Trippier just because he's a, a guy who does tend to be quite loyal to, to players um, who've already sort of played under him and, and, and done well for him before. And in those first two friends they play over these past couple of days, I don't think Reese James, of course, playing them because he, he came off that Champions League victory, which he had mm-hmm. one of the men in the match performances in that game. It was absolutely brilliant. But Kyle Walker, once again, had a pretty good performance at, for Man City. I think he was probably one of their best players on the pitch. He's shown he has history with England. He has success with England. Trippier, of course, has success with England at positions. I think Reese James, though, is I, it's definitely he's going to get a start in one of these games playing either Scotland or the Czech Republic just because I think his talent is, I mean, he can go places. He can go so far in his career, and he's just starting right now. He's only 21 years old, and he's won already one Champions League title. And he already has had a great season for a couple seasons for Chelsea. He has experience going forward, and we know his crossing ability is really awesome. And he has a striker like Harry Kane, 
Reese James is going to really like that crossing the ball into the box. Hopefully, like you mentioned, I think it's going to be interesting. And we can talk about England for a little bit now because we're going to have the players of Ben Show and Mason Mount coming up. So maybe we'll get through Chibble and Mount, and then we're going to talk a little bit about their system a little bit further before I move on to Scotland and Billy Gilmore. But let's talk about Ben Chilwell because he had, once again, like a lot of Chelsea players, a lot of good success in the past couple of weeks. Great Champions League final. A lot of under-the-radar tackles. I think a lot of the under-the-radar interceptions in that final. I know a lot of people talked about Aspetacueta's kick over the bar, which is deservedly so because it was brilliant. But the same time, Chilwell made Rian Mares quiet for the first 95 minutes of the game. And he's going to go up against Luke Shaw, who's had, respectfully, he's had a good campaign for Manchester United, especially coming off of a 2019-20 disappointing campaign for Manchester United. He had an injury, I believe, in that season, and he was pretty fit during this year for Manchester United, so he played a lot. But Ben Chilwell also didn't get as many minutes as he probably wanted to because he was injured in some parts of, the, of Chelsea's season. But he's back. He's fully fit. He's fully confident now. And I think with Thomas Tuchel, if England do revert to win-backs, he has experience now playing at the left win-back role. I don't think you can say that same thing for Luke Shaw. So I think that some of that might have helped him. It looks like he's just just the position pretty well and he'll have cover behind him. And we saw how how far he can get forward because he knows he has that cover behind him in defense, especially if they revert to a back three. So what are your thoughts on Ben Chua going up against Luke Shaw? If you look at their numbers, creativity-wise, they've improved a lot over the past seasons. And they're actually pretty similar when you look at expected assists, expected goals, stuff like that. They're putting chances on their plate for their attackers. You saw many times this season Luke Shaw coming off a link flank, crossing into Edison Cavani for a header. You saw many times this season Ben Shilwell and Mason Mount combined on the left-hand side, both key focal points for their teams this season. But they're going to go up against each other because neither of them can probably play left center back, and even if they could, they probably wouldn't play there if it is a back three. So talk about it, show a little bit because last season – People don't really talk about it much, but he kind of struggled at the summer restart for Leicester City, but he's been one of Chelsea's best signings. He had one not-so-great stage, but, I mean, Frank Lampard's choice has really paid off for Chelsea over these past couple weeks, and it could pay off for England as a left wing-back going forward. Yeah, I think if England do end up here in a system with wing-backs, I think Chilwell does start. Um, mm. Luke Shaw, I mean, has had a good season. He's uh, sort of finally realising a lot of that early potential he showed at Southampton. I mean, he did have an awful, awful uh, leg break in there and sort of probably disrupted him. And he had Jose Mourinho, who didn't take kindly to him because of Jose Mourinho reasons. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if England do go wing-back, I think if England go left-back, to be honest, Ben Chilwell does play. Um, he has adapted to, to the wing-back role so well under Thomas Tuchel. He's accepted that he needed to learn a few new things about the position and he... Um, he has done. He, he's he's developed so well in it, and I think he's, you know, personally watching the Champions League final uh, in Porto, I thought he had a good game. Watching it back uh, on the Monday after I got back, um, I realised he'd had a better game than I thought, um, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding when I watched it back. Um, I think as well, links are important here, and if Mason Mount is going to play, and he almost certainly is going to play, and Mason Mount starts on the left, then it's good to have that relationship uh, mm. from club level at international level. I think that could be really important for England. So, um, to be honest, I think all, all the indications are that is 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 probably Chilwell's spot, this this sort of left-back slash left-wing-back spot, depending on, on what Southgate does. And, um, and, yeah, as you say, turns out that Frank Lampard can 
probably spot a player. Yeah, it's been one of my new favorite sign-ins this season, and I think what I love about him is he's able to get forward, but at the same time, he's able to get back on his horse and defend for the club and, and put his 100% effort, especially in that Champions League final like every other Chelsea player on the pitch. But I think that the back three probably really benefits him and kind of cements that spot. Luke Shaw, he's had a good season, respectfully, but at the same time, over these past couple weeks, especially in that Villarreal game, not great performance. I'm pretty sure the goal came from one of his deflections that went into a corner for the Ralph score and then ensuing corner kick. And so it, it's just stuff like that, that Ben Chilwell especially has that experience playing in the role. And I think that Gareth Southgate has a more, I, I wouldn't say he knows Ben Chilwell a little bit more, but I, I, if I'm serving, if my memory serves right, Ben Chilwell has played more for England in these past mm-hmm. couple years in big games than Luke Shaw has. So I think that could help him as well. So now let's move on to our golden boy in the England squad, and that is Mason Mount. And I wrote down basically who every player is is, is competing with for every player. I've talked about it before. Mason Mount is basically competing with every player who's not a defender because we don't even know who he's going to play. He could play (laughs) basically any position in that front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it. So he's competing with everyone that's not a defender. That includes Rice, Phillips, Foden, Kane, Sterling, Grealish, Rashford, Saka, Sancho. The list goes on and on and on. But guess what? He's going to out-compete every single one of them in training. He's going to start against Croatia on Sunday. So that doesn't matter. Put him in any position. He's going to put in a great performance. I'm certain of it. So that'd be interesting to see where he does play because he can play really anywhere. He has a really strong relationship with Gareth Southgate at such an early age. We saw him, maybe it wasn't the last, I think actually it was the last international break. He he was the head of one of the press conferences with Southgate. He was chosen to speak to the media, talked about his relationship with the manager, his time at England so far. And he's had a really great run with England just in these past two years and, and the early stages of 2019, World Cup qualifying, played really well for them in the first part of his rookie season at Chelsea. And then, of course, this past year in November, really hitting it off for England, scoring goals against Belgium, scoring goals this past international break. And so it's just a question of where he plays them for me. I think he'll play him in the forward line, uh, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, because uh, I think it was Matt Law who who did the story on the Telegraph today that Southgate wasn't happy at halftime uh, in the remainder game with his forwards, uh, they're pressing, um, which, you know, Mason Mount will do uh, and does probably better than a lot of players. And I think for that reason alone, he'll start. And that's before you get into his quality on the ball. He is, uh, he is probably one of England's best attacking players. I mean, there's such a clamour for Jack Grealish, but, you know, Jack Grealish is a wonderfully talented footballer and an incredibly gifted attacker like he can do things a lot of other players can't do but he doesn't necessarily do the things that Mason Mount does especially off the ball and I think that's really important and it's probably something that's overlooked is how much Mason does do off the ball and why managers love him for it and it's not just that he can as we saw in the Champions League final create it's not that he can beat players it's it is he is the full package and I think that means he'll start um in the forward line and um and I really hope he has a good tournament. My, my only concern is, obviously, he's played an awful lot of football this season, more than most players have in the Premier League. He, he's been the guy. They just keep on going. And um, saw sort of in the last couple of Premier League games, he maybe looked a bit tired. I think the Arsenal game, the other game, he wasn't at his best. Um, 
but you know he had a week off um, in between the, the the Villa game and the Champions League final. He looked fine, so maybe that all he needs is a week off to recharge his batteries, and he'll come into this tournament uh, fresh. But it'll be interesting for Chelsea next season how they handle Mason Mount because because um, yeah, he has just played so much football over the last not even season but over the last sort of three four years he's played an awful lot of football and I think at some point he is going to have to be given a break um, even if that does mean him coming back a little bit late um, for Chelsea next season I love how you put him in the attacking three because so many players and not, not players but so many people are now are talking about the likes of Rashford and Grealish and Sancho and for good reasons but at the same time like you mentioned, I think it's that Preston ability that, that Southgate really likes of him. He spoke so highly of him over these past couple mm. of international breaks. And I think that he can play in so many different positions. But I think that left forward spot is his best position because he can give you – he has freedom to attack. But at the same time, he has the ability to come back. And we saw the Champions League final to make those tackles when he really needs to. That one – against Kevin De Bruyne on that right-hand side. Yeah. Man City's right-hand side in the Champions League final was absolutely brilliant. And he's just such a, such a smart player. And I think it's a joke, quite honestly, if, if Raheem Sterling even gets one star in this tournament. I think it's an absolute joke because he's had a terrible season for Manchester City. I get he has a reputation for England, but at the same time, he has not played for Manchester City this season. He played one game in the Champions League final and got absolutely bodied by a 21-year-old Reese James. And I, I just don't get the relationship. I mean, I do get the relationship between Sterling and Southgate is strong. But at the same time, you're trying to win the tournament. You're not trying to get knocked down in the round of 16 England. So if, if Sterling's even on one of those team sheets, maybe it's against a guy like Scotland or, or the Czech Republic. But Sterling cannot start against, against Croatia. He just can't because he doesn't possess that, that Preston ability either. So I just wanted to go on a little bit of rant right there just because I, I still don't even know how <laughs> Sterling's in this. I mean, I know how I know how he is in the squad. But he should not be starting for England if they're really serious about winning this competition. So Mason Mount, I think it's a really good shot to play him in that left forward role. Should be interesting to see him alongside the likes of Harry Kane, who can actually finish off his great creativity because he saw with Chelsea this season, people talking about him putting assists on the plates. They look at his stats and they say, wow, Mason Mount, he has five assists in the Premier League. And, and that's pretty curious because um, I thought you guys would talk about him and how creative he is. But then we look at expected goals and expected assists. He should have way more create great by the fact that he creates so much. And you have mm. a strike with Harry Kane. Kane's spoken highly about Mount. I'm really looking forward to that partnership. 